This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're going to talk about taxes. Yay! (laughs) We're going to talk about the Tax Cuts and Job Act so that uh, folks, when they're doing their uh, end-of-year preparation, maybe you're checking your money to see how much you can give on this Giving Tuesday. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you today? I'm doing great. What a what a wait wait great way to celebrate Giving Tuesday by talking about taxes again. You know, I hope people don't tax and drive because that is a dangerous thing to do. But uh, <laughs> very happy to uh, to talk with you today about this, Liz. And I hope people are voting today in Mississippi. Very important day. Very important election day. Exactly. And if uh, folks missed our previous show, Money Talks, uh, later this afternoon, after I finish this show, I uh, I engineer money talks and i'll be putting it online you can listen to it three ways you can listen online at mpbonline.org you can listen to the mpb media app you can also listen as a podcast and money talks uh talked about uh giving tuesday talked about charitable giving um you know, a lot of times you give selflessly. Other times you give, and the thing you get back is a uh, uh, a deduction on your tax returns. So today we'll talk a little bit about those options, um, and maybe what you don't get as a deduction on your tax return. So, Professor Gershon, tell us, um, r- take us back eleven months ago, uh, the tax cuts and Jobs Act that uh, when that started. Right. Uh, Liz, uh, Congress passed uh, a sweeping change in the tax uh, legislation for the first time since 1986, really. So it's been a long time. Uh, and there's some things that will help some of our listeners and some things that will not help our listeners. And we're going to talk about those today. Now, you mentioned charitable giving, though. I do want to point out that if somebody gives cash, that's always a nice thing to do. But even at a 37% tax bracket, if you give a dollar of cash to, to a charity, which is a great thing to do, and it certainly should be done, uh, you're only saving 37 cents in taxes. So it's still costing you 67 or 63 cents, excuse me, if you're in the 60, uh, 37% uh, tax bracket uh, to give that dollar of cash. But if you give stock, if I gave uh, stock that had gone up in value, so let's say I paid a dollar for the stock and it was worth $100, I can take a $100 contribution and a $100 deduction for that stock in many cases, and my tax savings will be that same uh, you know, 37% of $100 
which is $37, even though it only cost me a dollar. So one thing that I encourage people to do if they want to give to charity a lot of times is to give appreciated property like stock. That's right. Uh, we talked a little bit about during money talks, but then also um, we mentioned uh, the donations from IRAs. Uh, Ryder Taft uh, mentioned um, individuals who have an IRA and are required to make minimum withdrawals if you're over the age of 70 and a half, if you have appreciated stock in your IRA, you can also uh, contribute that. Isn't that right, Professor Gershon? That's correct. And you don't have to pay the tax on it when it comes out of your IRA, whereas if you take the distribution, then you do have to pay tax on the distribution. So that's a good thing to think about if you don't need the money uh, to live on. That's right. And if you have a question about these new tax laws that have been going on during the 2018 year, uh, it's almost the end of the year. So if you have a question about that, we would love for you to give us a call. Our phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464. You can also send us an email. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right. But uh, when we've been talking about charitable donations under the new tax law, uh, first off, if you if you do make any kind of contribution, uh, you need a receipt this year. Is that that's right? That's right. Uh, And the other thing, so you need to make sure you can document your contribution, especially, especially if you're giving property. Uh, uh, You want to make sure you have uh, documentation of that contribution. Uh, And then the other thing we need to think about, and I I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead, but is that because the standard deduction is going to be higher for taxpayers under the new tax act. Uh, if you could itemize in the past, you may not be able to itemize this year. That's and exactly where I was going. <laughs> okay, great. Great. Well, let's talk about that because for a single taxpayer, the standard deduction almost doubles. It's $12,000. And for a married couple filing jointly, the standard deduction is $24,000. So let's use a married couple. In the past, that married couple may have been able to uh, take uh, their itemized deductions. But if their itemized deductions don't exceed combined $24,000, it's not worth them taking the, the standard uh, the itemized deduction. They're going to take the standard deduction of $24,000. So even if they gave gifts to charity, which is still a good thing to do, uh, then um, they're not going to be able to take those charitable deductions this year. They'll just take the standard deduction. So the increased standard deduction will mean that fewer people will itemize. That's right. Um, And so you don't have the, uh, oh, what do you call, I'm sorry, what do you call it when you you name all the different people in your family that are dependents? Personal exemptions. Personal exemptions. So instead of having personal exemptions, if you're looking at the form, that's right after your name and your address and your social security number, they say, you know, how many dependents do you have? And that 
subtracts from your adjusted gross income. And so we don't have that anymore. So individuals may have a higher adjusted gross income this year because we don't have the exemptions. But then there's quite uh, a lot. uh, the, The standard deduction will be higher. That's right. But. For example, the the exemption amount used to be $4,000 plus a little bit of change. In 2017, it was $4,050. So if you had four dependents, then your four dependents would add up to $16,000 plus. You would would have actually been better off under the old act. Uh, Now you lose those exemptions, and yes, you have a higher standard deduction. The other thing is the exemptions did not affect your ability to itemize. So if I I had 10 exemptions, that's over $40,000 that didn't count towards my income. That would have no effect on my whether I itemized or took the standard deduction. But by increasing the standard deduction and taking away the exemptions, uh, there are going to be many people who actually owe more taxes under the new law because of that. Well, and in a little bit, we'll get to the tax credit where that might be able to help some folks. But right now, we've got a caller. Um, we've got Wade from Jackson who's on the line. Uh, Wade, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, good morning. I, I hope you can hear me okay. Oh, I can hear you great, Wade. And I know who great. you are, and we're so glad you called in. Yes. Well, you. I was calling about the um, standard and the itemized deduction. Uh, you know, I was just on uh, on the air on MPB on the Mississippi edition talking about Giving Tuesday, and I had a question about the itemized deduction that uh, your, your your guest sort of uh, handled while I was on the air, but I, or while I was on hold. But I guess my question was, um, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the guest. Who is that? Professor Richard Gershon is our okay. host from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Okay, okay Richard. So, um, so do you see that um, with this tax uh, overhaul that people are going to act? You, you just mentioned that people may actually end up owing more tax despite giving more to a 501c3? Could you expand on that a little bit? Well, it's possible that in the past, if you itemized your deductions, uh, you could take, and you had exemptions, you had a large amount of exemptions, it's possible that you could uh, have given in the past large uh, charitable deductions and and taken those deductions and reduced your taxes. Uh, With the increased standard deduction and the loss of exemptions, it's possible uh, that someone could just not have enough itemized deductions uh, to make it worthwhile to itemize. And so even though they have the the expenses. Now, one thing I want to point out, this is really important since it's Giving Tuesday, is that Mississippians are very generous. We're one of the most generous states in the country. And there are a lot of Mississippians. So I think it's important to remember that a lot of Mississippians give irrespective of whether they can take the deduction or not. So that's that's always important. People give for other reasons besides uh, the tax deduction. The tax deduction is just one consideration. Yes, sir. And, and, and I would uh, I, I would say that most Mississippians, including myself, give without regard to what it would mean for their taxes, because I certainly can't give over you know twenty five thousand dollars 
um, uh, you know, to to charities in in this year, and which would which would you know help me get above the standard deduction. Um, but yes, sir, and 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 I think it's interesting that um, it's not just in Mississippi, but it's particularly true in Mississippi. And I talked to Karen Brown about this earlier that um, the, the the people in Mississippi, at least, um, you can look at a, a study called Giving USA that suggests that the the the, the higher your uh, income goes, the lower on a percentage of your salary that people give away. So the people in Mississippi who are making the least are actually giving above their heads, so to speak. And I just find that really interesting and really inspiring as a Mississippian. I agree. Totally agree. That's okay, right. We're, thank you. Thanks, Wade. We appreciate you for calling in. Uh, and if you wanted to hear Wade Overstreet when he spoke with um, Karen Brown this morning on Mississippi Edition, that'll also be on later today on our website, mpbonline.org or on the MPB Public Media app. Well, it's time for us to take a break. We're going to continue our discussion about the 2018 tax code the tax cuts and jobs act it's giving tuesday we'd love for you to remember mpb in your contributions but uh, we'd also love to hear from you if you have questions about the changes in the tax law for this year our number is 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-672 7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. I'm Liz Gill, and today we're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We're talking about how you can make the most of your charitable giving on this Giving Tuesday. We'll also get into uh, some business tax implications and uh, other personal taxes having to do maybe with your funding for college, all of that, and we're taking your questions. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We have another uh, caller on the phone, Ahmed from Ridgeland. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you for uh, taking my call. Uh, I'll make it uh, very short. I used to have a company uh, that I was self-employed, and I had a uh, self-employed individual retirement account. 
the company uh, expanded. I had several other employees in it then. Uh, and then my accountant told me that I couldn't uh, put money in the IRA uh, unless I set up a retirement account for the, for the employees. Now I have cut it down to only two employees. Now, can I go back and start contributing to that IRA? Uh, typically, yes, but I think it's uh, something you probably ought to talk to your specific tax advisor about to make sure that in your situation you can. Uh, there's something called ERISA, which is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act that came in in the 1980s, and it uh, basically stated that if you're going to be an employer and you're going to have uh, set aside money for your retirement, you have to include your employees. But ERISA only applies to companies of certain size. And so you might want to check and see if you're still covered by ERISA or not. Uh, the idea behind that was it, uh, it used to be that uh, the highly compensated employees were the only ones who were allowed to put money away for retirement. ERISA wanted to ensure that there was income uh, for people in retirement, uh, no matter what their compensation level was. Well, um, um, people are confused about the number of employees that you can have uh, to contribute. Uh, initially, I got a figure of uh, three or less, and if there are three or less, then you can do your own separate IRA. Um, but then somebody said, no, even if you have one employee, you can't do it. Um, so there was, there's been a confusion going on for a year, and, I, and I'm at a loss where to find, find the answer. Well, and, and I think part of that depends on your specific circumstance, and that's why there might be confusion, because... Uh, what a lot of people did to try to get around ERISA was that they separated themselves from their employees. They would have separate uh, businesses that hired them and then separate a separate business that would hire their, their employees. And they would say, therefore, my employees are, are really employees of the separate business and I don't have to cover them under my retirement plan. So it really depends on how your businesses are structured. And, and you mentioned that you have you had several businesses. So that's why I think it's important for you to talk to your specific tax advisor to see if the ERISA requirements apply to you. Okay. Well, that helps because I do have a couple of companies. So I, I'll talk to my accountant then. Well, I appreciate that's that. Thank you. My pleasure. Ahmed, we are glad that you called in, and maybe that will spark someone else who maybe is in the same situation. I'm glad we got to hear your call. Let's talk some more, uh, a little bit more about individuals and their individual tax planning. This is the time, you know, we've got one month left. This is the time of the year where if you can legally finagle uh this is the it would behoove you or it might behoove you to um, push here pull there so that you do make the most of your financial situation and one of the possibilities someone could do is deferring their income professor gershon why or why not would someone might want to have be paid in december versus getting paid in january well, Liz, that's a great question, and it really comes down to a concept called time value of money, and that is that if I am paid in December and have to pay taxes on that income that I got in December this year for this year's tax return, then I'm going to have to go ahead and give the government a portion of that money 
for this year. But if I can be paid the 1st of January or the 2nd of January, for example, then I can uh, still have that money in a relatively short period of time and not owe the taxes on it until really the end of that uh, following year, that 2019. So I get the use of that money for a longer period of time. And economists will tell you that always works to my advantage as long as as long as the tax rates don't go up in the following year. So one of the things we're assuming is that the tax rates stay the same or they go down and then it would be worth deferring. But if, for example, this year, if my tax rate was 20 percent and next year my tax rate was going to be 37 percent, then I would not want to defer my income. I would actually want to accelerate it. So that it, if you have a chance to look and if you're maybe this would be a self-employed person who could be able to decide when they send out their uh, the bills to get reimbursed for services they've provided, that might be someone who could uh, determine what year they're going to get paid. That's right. And we are assuming that the taxpayer is a cash method taxpayer because a cash method taxpayer only reports the income when they actually receive the payment. Uh, there's something called an accrual method taxpayer. That's someone who, as soon as they've completed the work and sent the bill and earned the money, that's when they would report that income. Uh, that's also when they would get deductions, is when those deductions are accrued as, a, as opposed to paid. But if we assume someone's a cash method taxpayer, then uh, they can decide how to bill. So, for example, my wife does a lot of freelance editing. Uh, if she bills, uh, even if she bills in December, if she's not paid until January, she doesn't have to report that income until January. All right. One of the other things that people take advantage of this time of year is last minute tax deductions. And as we mentioned in the previous segment, charitable donations are possibly tax deductions. Talk about why you might, uh, about how important it is for uh, the tax deductions to be this year or next year and how that'll impact. Well, again, uh, if we're looking at time value of money, if I can time my deductions so that I can uh, make sure that they happen this year, I can go ahead and get the benefit of those deductions for this year instead of delaying them till next year. So if I have a choice of uh, making a payment that will be deductible and I make it in December, I can take it in 2018. If I wait till January, uh, I will still be having to make that expense, but I won't be getting the benefit of that tax deduction until my 2019 tax return, which will be due in 2020. So we want to, the idea is really you want to accelerate your deductions typically and you want to defer income, if possible, uh, in order to maximize the benefits. Of course, you know you don't want to defer the income too long. We're really talking about the difference between receiving a payment in December, the end of December, or the beginning of January can make a difference in the time value of money. All right. And when we are talking about charitable contributions, this year, uh, in, you do need to have a receipt for any amount, and in the past, it had only been for $250 or more. Is that right? That's right. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's, I think, not a bad thing because in the past, I think the, the government has pretty well trusted us. It's pretty easy to get a receipt. I know that our university 
will send a receipt anytime someone donates money or property to the university. Uh, if it's property, uh, you want to make sure that there's some appraisal of that property. Uh, so in the past, what people would do is they would just take their property to Goodwill and and guesstimate what their property was worth. And I, and I think to some extent you can still do that, but you want to get some uh, reasonable valuation and have a receipt for uh, those donations to make sure that if you're audited, uh, you can back up your deduction. All right. We're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for 2018. We're talking about uh, getting your taxes ready for this year to so that you'll be ready to file on April 15th or whenever you file. If you'd like to participate, if you'd like to ask Professor Gershon a question about the tax law, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four and our email address is legal terms at mpbonline.org and since it is given Tuesday and we're talking about getting tax receipts I know our MPB foundation is so nicely automated that our contributors can get a password to access their account and they can print out their receipt that shows their this year's or past year's giving uh, from your computer, which is very handy. Which is why a contribution to MPB is a good thing to do. Excellent. You'll have that receipt right there. Excellent. One of the things a lot of people talk about, I'm not sure how many people it applies to, is the alternative minimum tax. Professor Gershon, is this a horse or is this a zebra? Oh, it's a zebra. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a zebra that's affecting a lot more people than it should be because originally the alternative minimum tax, which I always think of as kind of a parallel universe tax, uh, was a tax that was designed to prevent very wealthy people from using uh, accelerated depreciation and other loopholes that were available to them. Uh, and so it would minimize those deductions for very wealthy people. The problem is the alternative minimum tax was not indexed for inflation and has been around for a long time, long enough so that it is now affecting, or at least it did uh, prior to this year, it was affecting a lot of middle income taxpayers. And so what would happen is, Someone would uh, file their taxes or get ready to file their taxes and find out that their state uh, and local tax deductions and other deductions were, in essence, taken away from them for that year in order for them to owe the alternative minimum tax. So this year, the uh, alternative minimum tax limits have been increased and will affect fewer people, which I think is a good thing. I think it's one of the best uh, changes in the bill. Uh, but still, it does. It could be a, a an important thing for someone to talk to their advisor about their tax advisor about if, in fact, they're going to owe the alternative minimum tax, then they don't want to accelerate uh, their deductions like. Uh, their state income tax payments or their state, I should say their state property tax payments. Uh, in the past, it might be that you could time uh, prepaying property taxes and, and take those deductions in a current year. But if those deductions are going to be taken away because of the alternative minimum tax, you want to make sure you don't accelerate those. So that's something to talk to a tax advisor about. And what I hope people realize is 
their situations are all very specific. And so what we're trying to do today is just raise some flags for you to think about and talking to your advisor. Should I should I accelerate deductions? Can I accelerate deductions? Uh, would that be a good thing for me? Should I uh, defer income? Uh, these are more about the questions you should be asking than for us than us giving answers today. That's exactly right. So if you have a question about the tax law, we'd love for you to call in. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one. 1- Professor Gershon can't answer your specific question, but he can uh, help you understand what the tax law is. We have a call. It's Gretchen from Jackson. Thanks for calling in today. Gretchen, go ahead. Okay. Now, you might have answered this before, but I just started tuning in. What about line 39A in the 2017-1040? Has that been eliminated also, you know, being an older individual and blind? All right. Well, if you're talking about the additional uh, exemption for uh, people who are uh Blind or elderly? Is that what you're talking about? Because I right. As far as I know, all the exemptions have been eliminated. Yes, so that one also goes away and is uh, taken over by the standard deduction. Uh, there are uh, child tax credits, things like that. But uh, let me let me make sure of that because the truth is, uh, even though I'm a tax person, I honestly don't know all the lines of the. Uh, the 1040. Oh, so I'll double check that to make sure. But I think that I think that's also gone away. OK, but Gretchen, I'll, I'll, uh, Gretchen, you, you Gretchen. hang yeah. on. We're going to take sure. a quick break uh, while Professor Gershon looks up uh, line 39A in federal tax forms. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Uh, we'd love for you to call in. Our number is one 672 7464. We're talking today about the tax code. Yay! (laughs) We're talking about the 2018 tax changes. So if you have a question about that, we've talked a little bit about um, giving and charitable contributions. We'll get into more with uh, some businesses and contributing for college when we come back. We'd love for you to call one 672 7464 This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We've got some really great shows on this morning, continuing today, and we've already had already. So if you've missed any of them, you can listen to the whole show again three different ways mpbonline.org slash in legal terms or you could go to the MPB public media app if you want to hear Money Talk show about Giving Tuesday 
And you can also listen to podcasts on whatever podcast platform you use. You can go to search and type in the name of the show to pull it up. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Professor Gershon, were you able to find out about Gretchen's question about the Line 39 federal tax forms? Well, Gretchen's question was a great one, and actually there is an additional standard deduction uh, for 2018. If you are 65 and older, you may increase your standard deduction by $1,600 if you file single or head of household. But if you're married, uh, filing jointly, or your spouse is 65 or older, you may increase your standard deduction by $1,300. So, yes, there is still an additional standard deduction. Again, though, that's a double-edged sword because that means if you're uh, 65 or older, it's even harder to itemize deductions because – your standard deduction will be higher uh, because of those increased standard deductions. But thank you for that question, Gretchen. I'm glad you asked it. All right. So no more exemptions, but hopefully the standard deduction is higher for you. So it would simplify. And that was the whole goal of the, the tax change purportedly was to make our taxes simpler. That way you don't have to keep up with itemizing your deductions Uh, you'll hopefully be able to take the standard deduction and it would uh, enable you to keep more money in your pocket. All right, let's go. We have one more. We have another call. We have Matt from Columbus. Matt, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my call. My question is in regards to property taxes. Uh, in the past, I have paid them before the end of the year, and I, I remember last year there was a lot of talk about property taxes in the end of the year. Has the new rule made any change about paying your property taxes prior to the end of the year? No, it has not, but there are limits on the amount of property taxes you can take. And so one thing to think about is those limits uh, limit you to state and local taxes, including property taxes, uh, to $10,000. So you want to make sure you don't exceed that limit in any given year. Uh, And that's the one that was the big change was that uh, especially for high tax states like uh, California and New York, that's going to affect a lot of taxpayers in those states, particularly because their income, their state income taxes were already pretty high and they're limited to uh, to a set amount. So uh, the state of California decided and I I thought this was pretty clever and it's being litigated as we talk uh, to limit their uh, income taxes to the the amount limited by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and then consider the rest of the payment that the taxpayer made as a charitable contribution directly to the state of California, which would be deductible. So I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, We're going to see how that plays out. But yes, you want to make sure you don't exceed your limits uh, for the amount that you can deduct in a given year, but it's okay to still prepay if you don't do that. Thank you very much. All right, Matt, we're glad that you called in. Anyone else who would like to call in to talk about the 2018 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we'd love to hear from you. We'll find out what uh, Professor Gershon has to say. We'll, we're trying to bring up the different things just to help you think about so that you can talk with your particular tax professional to find out what's specifically right for you. 
one of the going back to some of the changes, um, tell us about the kitty tax. What is that? All right. Well, that's a that's a great question, Liz. And uh, the kitty tax was uh, created to ensure that taxpayers uh, couldn't just put money into a, a savings account for their child, for example, and have their ta- child taxed on the interest on that savings account at a lower tax rate. Uh, because the idea was that if I'm a parent and I'm in the highest tax bracket, my child will probably be in a lower bracket than me. And so the money that the child would receive from that savings account would be usable for my family at a tax at a lower rate. So the idea behind the kitty tax was that on unearned income, that is income from interest or dividends uh, that the child received, that that would be taxed at the parent's rate. Uh, but now, after uh, for this year and going forward, the kitty tax is taxed at the same rate as estates and trust and estates are taxed at the highest rate or trusts are taxed at the highest rate after $12,500 and the highest rate is 37%. So the kitty tax really kicks in in a much more forceful way now than it used to. And it, it really is something a parent needs to think about when they set up uh, savings accounts and things like that for their child. If those savings accounts are, are there, are, uh, mutual fund accounts are paying a lot of interest or dividends, those could create a, a, a much larger tax burden uh, for the parent than the parent had expected. Now, uh, one thing that I should point out is the kitty tax only applies to unearned income. So one thing that parents can do uh, for a child is to pay a child reasonable compensation uh, of their own for tasks that they may do around the parent's business. Now, I can't pay my child $100,000 a year, obviously, but if my child comes and empties the trash or does something for my in my office, it would be perfectly reasonable in my business, if I ran my own trader business, for me to pay my child some kind of uh, compensation. That would be earned income and taxed at the child's rate. Well, all right then. <laughs> well, if we're talking about kids and giving kids money and unearned income, let's segue that into 529 plans. Because I know a lot of times grandparents, they want to help with the kids and want to help put money away for kids. And the 529 plans are ways that money can be given to kids, but not exactly to kids. Remind our listeners what a 529 college savings plan is. Yes, and actually, and also after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, 529 plans can be used for not just college, but they can be used for uh, secondary schools, so private high schools and private elementary schools as well. They've been expanded. But a 529 plan allows a parent to put money away or a grandparent or anyone to put money away uh, for educational expenses that will take place later for a child. Uh, or for a grandchild. And the idea behind them is that the money will grow tax deferred until it is used for college. And if it's used for college, then it will not be taxable at that point either. So it's a great way to save money uh, to uh, to use for college or for any educational purpose uh, after uh, this year. So including this year. Now, for grandparents, if grandparents want to give uh, money to a grandchild's 529, 
uh, they are limited to giving $15,000 a year uh, under the uh, the gift tax. If they exceed $15,000 a year, then they have to report that as a, as a gift. Uh, they can elect to spread uh, to make one payment that's spread out over five years. So they could make as much as a $90,000 gift without gift tax consequences, as long as they don't make any more transfers for the next five years. So uh, that's something that uh, they should think about. Um, that's uh, and I should say 75,000. That's five times 15. My math is a little bit faulty this morning for the five year election. So, uh, yeah, but they're a great way to save tax deferred tax free uh, uh, on the income that is generated. Uh, and some states, many states like Mississippi, even allow you to take a uh, tax, a state tax deduction uh, if you make a contribution to a 529. So, again, people need to talk to their their tax advisors about whether uh, a 529 is the right thing for them. And though I know a lot of grandparents do want to contribute, each person can only have one 529 plan. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, but... Um, but the 529 plan can actually be used for anyone. So, for example, let's say I have a child uh, who I've contributed to a 529 plan for many years, and that child gets a full ride to college. And now, you know, my choice is I can the either dream, take that money. The dream of so many parents. <laughs> it is. It is. But, but here I have diligently saved for that child in a 529. So now what do I do? Well, one option is I can take the money out. and It's completely taxable at that point because I'm not using it for educational expenses. And that may not be a good thing. But maybe I save it. And if I have a grandchild later, uh, I can actually use that 529 plan for that grandchild. So even though it has a particular person's name on the 529, it is transferable to, for other uh, other educational purposes for another child or grandchild. Yeah, that's what we did. We had three kids, and then when the first one graduated, we just uh, moved the any pile of money that was left in there uh, to to baby sibling to start paying that one's educational. Uh, bills. All right, we have a phone call that we'd like to get to. Joanne from Terry, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. My, my question may have already been answered since I haven't been able to listen to the whole show, but is there still such a thing under the new guidelines as single head of household? And if there is, what are the exemptions for that now? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. And the way the way it works is you don't really have exemptions at all anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. The standard deductions uh, are eighteen thousand. Uh, excuse me, twenty four thousand dollars for um, married, and then eighteen thousand dollars for head of household, and then the for a uh, for uh, single taxpayers, it's $12,000. So those are the three categories that are there. So there is still a head of household care category. And that's for someone who uh, is a single parent, has responsibilities. Uh, we give them a higher standard deduction than a single taxpayer who, who really doesn't have those responsibilities. Okay, I see. And does anything else apply to that category other than the exemption? Is there anything else? You know, child um, no. care, or are there are there still other exemptions that would help if you were in that category? There, great question. There's something. There is the the uh, the new tax 
credit for children. Right? There's no more exemption for children, but there is a child tax credit uh, that uh, is uh, available for children up until the age of 17. They must be under 17 at the uh-huh. end of the year for taxpayers to claim the credit. Uh, it is a refundable credit if the person's income is low enough. Uh, uh-huh. And it's $2,000 uh, per per child, for, for, per qualifying child. Uh-huh. That's, okay. that's correct. Okay. And that's a, that's a credit, and that does not affect whether you're itemized or not. That is a credit that offsets. It's a really good deal. Yeah, credits are better than deductions. It certainly is. All right, well, that was the only question I had. I certainly appreciate it. Joanne, we're so glad you called. We need to take our last break of the hour. Um, Credits are great unless your kid happens to be between 17 and 26 and is still a dependent. (laughs) I wish I had the exemptions for that one. But uh, we're going to take our last break of the hour. We'd love for you to call in. We still have maybe one more call that we can get in. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. You can, this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. Remember, if you miss any part of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB media app, public media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We've had a wonderful show today talking about the 2018 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So recap for us real quick uh, about charitable donations and if you can or can't take them this year. Oh, you can absolutely take them this year. And you, but it's going to be a little bit harder just because the standard deduction limit is higher. So when you add your mortgage deduction and uh, your other itemized deductions like your state income tax deduction, uh, if they don't exceed $24,000 if you're married or $12,000 if you're single or $18,000 for head of household, you, you really don't get any additional benefit from those expenses, those deductions. Uh, but if they do, then you're going to itemize. And so those charitable contribution deductions are still and itemized deductions and but more importantly you'll feel good giving to charity and that's that really is why most people do it and in in on money talks we did talk about there was a national institute of health study that showed you do get uh brain activity positive endorphins from contributing to charity so it's uh it's a benefit unto itself 
It is. And one thing I, I recommend, we had uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Delbert Hoseman, on one, one day on the show. And uh, he, on his website, there's, a great, there's great information about charities uh, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, the Internal Revenue Service has information about charities. Just make sure you're giving to a legitimate charity. Uh, that any legitimate charity is going to show up on those websites as uh, being in good standing. And so uh, you want to make sure you don't get scammed as well. Exactly. That website is sos.ms.gov, and they have links to, well, they have a report for Mississippi charities, and you can type in the name of the charity, and they can show you how much they took in, what percentage went towards administrative costs, and what percentage went towards actually the the work of the charity. The Secretary of State's office also has website links to the IRS and other national organizations, the Better Business Bureau's site and other sites that specifically talk about checking on a charity to see if it's legitimate or not. Um, As to our tax information, we talked about how there are no more exemptions. So underneath your name and your address, there's no more exemptions. But the standard deduction is now twice as much, and the child tax credit is more. So that's an actual credit back that you might be eligible for. And... Uh, what else? We talked about uh, 529s. So if you are, uh, it's a wonderful way to contribute to your child's uh, education. And you could possibly, in the state of Mississippi, get a tax deduction for that if you don't, if you do itemize. That's right. All right. I think that that will do it for today. Professor Gershon, it's great to be back with you today. (laughs) Great to be back, Liz. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Wonderful to get to see my family, and I hope you got to enjoy all of your family also. I did. Thank you. All right. Our call screener for today was Java Chapman, and Jay White was our board engineer in Jackson. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. And on this Giving Tuesday, we are excited to have our Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 